This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by three amazing people. Super Inframan, Allison Cook, and 36 Dingo. If you want to become a patron or a sponsor, go to wheredidtheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And I have returning with me, Mr. Jeremy Vaney. Oh, hey. hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, yes, I, I am. Thank you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, so well, last time I had you on for your book, which was called what? Uh, Aliens, the First and Final Disclosure. Yes, excellent book. Uh, we were also touching on Kundalini, and you've had experiences with Kundalini that I feel are completely different than the experiences I've had with Kundalini. Uh So I thought it would be interesting to do a show talking about those differences and why those differences exist. I mean, from my experience dealing with other people who have awakened Kundalini, especially when it's spontaneous, uh, it manifests in a variety of ways. Um, I guess my question for you is, did you try to wake it up? Was that like a goal of yours? No, I had no idea what it... I, I didn't know what Kundalini was. No, I was literally... Um, well, since we've got time, I'll tell you the long story. Okay. <laughs> the, the long story is, um, essentially I ended up reading, um, books by a man named Jiddu Krishnamurti, who was like the theosophical, uh, he was built up to be like the second coming of the Lord Maitreya. And when he, he was literally like adopted by them at a young age and, and told that he was going to be the spiritual vessel for this essentially second coming of Christ. Right, right. And when he came of age and made his big sermon on the mountain speech, he tore it all down and said, there is no such thing. Don't believe in me. Don't believe in that. Don't believe in anything. Truth is a pathless land, which became his big famous quote, and tore down his own sect, uh, upset a lot of people. <laughs> and then ultimately spent the rest of his days, ironically, being considered a world teacher because he would give talks about spiritual, you know, quote unquote, spirituality. Um, so like spirituality but, without the dogma. So, well, not just without the dogma, but really the opposite of how you think things should work to the extent that when I first read him, he angered me because I thought like, OK, I know a bunch of smart people who read this and this seems stupid it seems antithetical to like what a human being is it's crazy but since they're smart and i don't i must not get it like i must be the dumb guy in the room (laughs) so i kept at it until i finally got what he was saying and um i mean essentially the the bottom line is like you and i are projections of the brain we're seekers and if you want to know if there is anything outside of time outside of thought outside of the seeker the seeker has to dissolve in order, for, in order for the seeker to dissolve, for the timeless to be the case, or truth, or whatever word you want to use, you can't take any action in any direction, which is ironic because you want to. That's what brought you to this question in the first place, right? right. But you can't. So you have to do it for its own sake. And that's a hard one to wrap your mind around. So a lot of people don't bother. They just go, oh, Jiddu Krishnamurti was a great intellectual, but it doesn't work. He's full of it. And that is a great way to deflect from 
the truth, which is exactly as he stated it. Uh, so what I did was I, I sat with one of the things he talks about is positive negation. So it's saying there are certain things in life you can't say what they are, but if you strip away the erroneous definitions, perhaps it, they reveal themselves like love, beauty, truth, you know, these sorts of things that we all sort of think we know about. And, but when you really look at it, it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Is jealousy love is, you know, possession love, you know, that sort of thing. I started to do the positive negation thing on my own psychology and just peeling layers of myself back and back and back, uh, and into, cause everything always ends at the parents, <laughs> you know? And then if you peel away your parents and go, okay, why did they do the things they did? And you, you look at them one at a time and it doesn't matter how many you look at. I mean, you just keep going and then you end up at the grandparents. Okay. What about the, what do I know about my grandparents? You know, and it's essentially the thing that clicked in me with doing that was that there is no end to this suffering as the Buddhists might say, like, this is what we are. There is no perfect set of parents. They're all dysfunctional or they're at least all perceived as dysfunctional to the kids. Like there's always going to be screwing up and that's what we all are. And so we're all in it together. Therefore, my personal problems are not actually personal. They're just what's there. They're just perpetual. And that's the case. And something about really getting that deeply actually changed me into like at the snap of a finger into one of those happy, bubbly, smiling, new agey types. Except I didn't have new age dogma. I was just like smiling, blissed out. Oh God, Jeremy's having a mental breakdown, midlife crisis guy. (laughs) Except I wasn't. I mean, I was having a literal mental breakup, but it wasn't a crisis. It was that I was becoming um, heart-centered instead of brain-centered. And so I was becoming relational as opposed to um, the separate individual self-sense that we know and love. How old were you? This was, uh, I mean, this was in New York. So, I mean, I was an adult. This was, um, I mean, it must've been in my thirties probably. Okay. Um, it was, it was around 99, 2000, somewhere in there. Okay. And so I was that guy for a while and I was still reading Krishnamurti and, and I got it. Like I started having like truth flowing through me, wisdom, you know, all of these wise things were just becoming my normal thoughts. Now it wasn't even a question of anything I had to think about. It just was immediately apparent. A lot of just big concepts were immediately apparent. And still, I remember I was sitting on the couch in the, in the apartment in the East Village and reading Krishnamurti, and it just clicked with me. Um, wait, why haven't I had whatever the big transcendental thing is? I feel like I have. I feel like I should have. I get this. And, um, and I realized it's because I'm that guy. I've become that guy who already believes he is that guy. You know what I mean? I already believe I've had it. And so that has become my new blockage because the brain always wants to have a sense of self and control and involvement and furtherance evolution. We don't want transformation. We want evolution. We want to take us with us when we go. And it was no different for me. But when I got that, deeply got that, it was like instantaneously uh, energy rose from my spine (laughs) Uh, there, well, first there was a moment of nothingness. It was just like complete. I was not there. And for however long that is, I would say a split second, but you know, like a dream, it's like there it's timeless. Yes. And energy rose from my spine as I'm just sitting there on the couch and actually blew out my, uh, like slipped a disc. I actually slipped a disc in my back. Oh, wow. And rose up and my head started spinning around as if you're doing an exercise, like you're rotating your head, like an exercise. Right. But I had no reference for that except for like possession. So I'm thinking like, oh crap, the exorcist, like what? Cause Judo Krishnamurti never says what happens next, because to tell you what happens next is to give you another illusion, the thing that you're working for or that you say you don't want. So he never said, he just says, do it and find out, you know, 
figure out what I'm actually saying and just be that. And so, you know, that's what happened to me is like this instantaneous Kundalini rising or whatever you want to call it. And uh, yeah, that, so that's the origin story. Interesting. So, it, it, but you, so although you didn't do it intentionally, you were on a spiritual path when you awakened it. Well, see, that's where this is where language has to be specific. I would say I would say that I was not on a path, you know, because I really got what he was saying, and I still, right. you know, maintain that. Like, you have to be pathless. Truth is a pathless land. The unfortunate thing is. You have to listen to somebody to get it, but you can't believe what they're saying at the same time. It's sort of paradoxical. Well, that, that you know, I mean, part part of why I liked using "Where did the road go?" is because you know, who wants to go down the paths that are already tread? Right. Everyone's path is different. Um, yeah, but where do they lead? <laughs> That's the question. Everyone's and, path is different, but um, I mean, maybe we can get into this a little bit later or something. But I think that there's there's a real problem in, when we're talking about Kundalini and when we're talking about aliens, quote unquote aliens, or any paranormal phenomena, which is that there is the timeless, that which comes out of timelessness, and then there is uh, the thought construct that comes out of the universe that is a replica of that, and I, which is used to sort of keep you here in time, to keep you limited, because that's what the universe is. It's limited. Therefore, you're limited. So it's the same problem as with the ego. The ego doesn't really want to die. The self doesn't right. want to die. Uh, and so it gives you the these sort of um, virtual reality experiences that mimic the real. And so it becomes, as I talk about in the book, it, you know, briefly, it like becomes difficult to know which is which. And I would say that the best way to tell is whether or not um, whatever that paranormal entity or spiritual experience is, is it trying, is it setting you on an, down another rabbit hole? Is it trying to evolve you or keep you involved? Or is it merely pointing something out for you to dissolve? Because if it's trying to keep you involved in here, there ain't no breaking up the ego and having a transcendental experience that way. Not, not authentically. Well, I mean, the ego is necessary to interact here. Like you, you can't fully get rid of it in a sense while you're still alive because it is our interaction with this universe. Um, it's, I our, think it's that, our IP address. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true, except at that point, at the point that we're talking about, I think that the ego is a character, is just what is left uh, imprinted in the brain for, for instance, truth uh, to speak through, through a body, right? Okay. So, but that doesn't mean that, that you aren't real, uh, you know, to some extent. It just means, um, it just means that. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're a caricature and you're a self-aware caricature. Okay, that's an interesting way to put it. You're Christopher Walken. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people who should be Christopher Walken. <laughs> yes, I wish. There aren't a lot of people who don't like Tris Christopher Walken. <laughs> Uh, um, see my experience, I, you know, I was interested in the paranormal and the unexplained, but I had no interest in religion, spirituality, any of that stuff. And I started having, you know, uh, hallucinations and stuff like that and pain up along my spine. And this was when I was like 12 or 13 years old. So I had no idea what was going on. Uh, I had no exposure to anything that even resembled like Eastern religion until like the new age movement kicked in a little more publicly. And you had people like Shirley MacLaine talking about the stuff. And I dismissed all that stuff because I just wasn't interested. Uh, and it seemed like nonsense. And it yeah. took until probably the early nineties before I, in fate magazine, they had an ad. It was actually an ad for a, I think a Llewellyn newsletter. And I subscribed to the Llewellyn newsletter and one of the books they were promoting was a book on Kundalini, and it had a list of things you experience when you have Kundalini awakening. And I'm looking at this going, I have all of these but one. What the mm -hmm. hell is Kundalini? So I went to the library, and I took out a bunch of, uh, 
I think I found John White's book on Kundalini, which had, uh, it's the one I recommend to people because it has essays from numerous people who have numerous different types of experiences that were all Kundalini awakenings, both positive and negative. Uh, But mostly mine was negative. You know, I Mm -hmm. felt like something was attacking me and I had no, until I found that book, I had no paradigm to even remotely deal with it. So once I found that book, I was able to work on meditation exercises and all this other stuff. And I realized, oh, all the pain I'm feeling is on chakras, which I didn't believe in. I'm just like, I don't believe in any of this stuff, but this is exactly what's happening to me. Yeah, I didn't believe in chakras either. So I'm I'm there with you. And I wouldn't have believed in Kundalini if I had read about that. Yeah. It would have sounded, and, and, you know, it wasn't until later. I mean, even having this thing roll my head around and all that, um, uh, you know, I still didn't know what Kundalini, I'd never heard Kundalini before, you know. Um, right. and, and what's, you know, what's kind of interesting is the reason that I got hooked on Krishnamurti was because I had a roommate who I would tell talk to about the UFO stuff. And she was like, you know, if you're really into this sort of stuff, you would probably like Ken Wilber. So I checked out Ken Wilber's book and Ken Wilber does not talk about UFOs and stuff like that. And in fact, he sort of laughs it off sometimes when asked about it. And, uh, but he talks about integral psychology and spirituality and, I mean, it is fascinating stuff, and a lot of it is over my head, but uh, but it's not about this stuff. So it's like I got, but I read in one of his books or essays or something where he said he had cut his teeth on Krishnamurti, and that's how I had first heard of Krishnamurti, and I thought, who's that guy? Because I want to know who Einstein cut his teeth on. Right. Uh, but it, it's just interesting that I came to it that way, and, and it... it it sounds like it, it, it's unfortunate that it shares just like the word chakra. I mean, it shares the same language as new age stuff. Right. Um, but that's all been co-opted, you know, yeah. by the Shirley MacLaine's of the world. Right. Exactly. I mean, this stuff is ancient and it, it's, you know, a very uh, valid path of spirituality for many people. But yeah, the new age movement kind of took it and commercialized it basically that's what the, the the new age movement takes things it makes them all love and light and commercializes it. yeah so it's it's not even that the stuff they're talking about is nonsense all the time it's the context in which they're talking about it it, it is and also you know listeners this one's a trick <laughs> Uh, a lot of that stuff, the meditations, the yoga, where they say, do this to get this result. Um, some of that stuff works, but in terms of do this to get quote unquote enlightenment, that does not work. And the reason that that does not work is because these exercises and meditations come after the fact. So the Kundalini, uh, I, I let it just keep going and doing its own thing. I would step out of the way. And to this day, it's the same thing. I step out of the way and it takes over and it, it does those things. It does. It meditates. It does yoga it does tai chi it you know go on down the list it's not me it's it and if i jot those things down i can have my own sort of you know and figure out what they're actually doing to improve my health or my psychic awareness or whatever it is then i can have you know i can form a path and go teach it but it would be completely disingenuous and i think that's what this all is it's disingenuous um the original people probably had the exact same thing happen to them that has happened with me and they wrote down the after effects and said, okay, do these after effects to achieve the enlightened state that I had, and you'll forever be chasing that dragon. Hmm, That's entirely possible. I mean, but but Buddhism in itself is basically what you're talking about, which is that, that, that eliminating the ego, that sense of, of sort of oneness and nothing at the same time. That is sort of the goal. Uh, If you say so. (laughs) 
I mean, I don't believe in goals. Like that's the thing. Again, it, it this is the problem. You, okay, I, I know, I know what you're saying. You're saying yes, yeah. I know what you're saying, but I have to be a stickler for the, the language because the second you say, "Yeah, that's the goal," then everyone thinks you they know what you're talking about and they tune out. But this is like what you are fundamentally, right? Like that's what we're getting to. Like, how do we become the whole expression of a human being? Well, it's not going to be by like comparing what's being said here to other things and going, oh, that sounds like this. Because that's what we do. And then thousands of years go by and we destroy the world instead of actually figuring it out. Yeah. Well, for, for anyone who's not aware, I've done numerous shows in Kundalini, but Kundalini is an energy that exists in everyone. Uh, and uh, it is considered to be asleep at the base of the spine, just inside the tailbone. And I've seen books, like I have a book on Tantra that, that says there is a kundalini gland right on the inside of the tailbone. And mm -hmm. the book's a little bit dated, so I don't know if there's, if that, at, at the time the book was printed, they were saying that, that science, science didn't know what this gland was for. Uh, I don't know if that's still true because I haven't looked it up, um, but I, I came across that recently and was like, oh, huh. But it's it's an energy that that sort of burns through you and makes you deal with sh with stuff. No swearing on your on your radio yeah. show. Yes. <laughs> But that's what it does. It, it it does it, and you don't really get a choice when it wakes up. Once it's awake, it's going to do what it's going to do. And like you said, you, the best thing you can do is get out of its way. But if you don't know what you're dealing with, you don't know to get out of its way. Um. Okay. I'm trying to. I'm trying to because I I don't feel like there's a choice. I think like once you get in the way, um, it's done. Like I have. I guess I haven't had an experience where like um I try to turn it off and it's like no. I'm going to keep going or something, you know? Um, so I, I don't know what that would look off, like. But, but fight what it's trying to get you to deal with. I see. Like psychological issues yeah. or even physical yeah, issues. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's what I was doing. I was fighting it because I thought something was attacking me. Huh. I see. I, I went the other way because, I, like I said, I thought, like, maybe I was possessed by a demon and maybe, uh-oh. Like, all my Christian stuff came back to me at once. Like, uh-oh. <laughs> but I still didn't fight it. Like, I still was like, this is so interesting. I have to see where this is going, you know? I'm just going to let this play out for the sake of letting it play out. Yeah, and, well, I was, uh, I was also a kid. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, I want to ask you about that because I went back. I listened to. So I think I've listened to your two episodes with Jeff. The right. one where you explain Kundalini. And then I had forgotten because my memory is crap that we actually did a show for the experience about some of your yes. experience. Um, oh, that's right. Yes. Yes, we did. Right. Right at the end. Yeah. And so the thing that you mentioned about this feeling a sickness in your what, in your stomach and in your back at the same time? Yeah, yeah. And you went to a bunch of doctors and nobody said anything. The first thing I thought was like, well, back then there weren't really nutritionists or people dealing with gut health. And I think you mentioned that you had like childhood diabetes, right? Yes. So you don't think that maybe it could have been linked to that? It, there were no signs it was linked to that. And I actually did see a nutritionist, but probably not on the same level nutritionists are today. Uh. And the thing is, I still get pain from Kundalini. Sometimes it, it just shoots up my spine and pulses and, and it's fine. And other times it gets blocked in certain chakras, especially my lower ones for some reason, and will give me a devastating amount of pain. So do you never deal with that? Like, do you never, because just as we're talking about, like, trying to block it out is what gets in the way, is it trying to tell you something to work on that you're not working on? If it is, I'm not sure what it is. And that that that's something I've been, I've been trying to figure out for a long time, because I can go, you know, months without anything. And then, like, I remember it was New Year's Eve 2020, driving home from a friend of mine's house, and it just intense pain on my tailbone to the point where I had to pull over and get out and, you know, stretch my spine straight, trying to get it to move. And eventually it just kind of, it took like 20 minutes, and then finally it just stopped just as quickly as it started. And I was like, what was that all about? 
And I'm thinking, it's New Year's Eve. I really don't want a cop stopping and being like, what's going on? Mm. Um, Kundalini energy hurting? Yeah. See, that. I guess I... It's hard for me to relate to that aspect of pain with it because, and and maybe this is why it's like, I mean, I keep making this analogy. I think I've unfortunately made it on this show. So sorry, everyone, if you've heard this already, but it's like trying to turn over the engine of a car, not realizing that you're in a car and you hear the engine go vroom, vroom. And you think like, wow, this is amazing. I've never seen this before. Not realizing that it's a car and you should be driving properly. Like that's what the car is for. And so could it be, because I've also heard you say that you uh, are controlling. That's one of the reasons you don't want to do hallucinogens, right? Yeah. And and you fear death. So this idea of like perpetually wanting to. I don't fear death. You don't fear death. Okay. And I heard that wrong. So, but the idea that you don't want to give up control or give yourself up to the unknown, essentially, could that be the the thing that keeps you from starting the car? No, I don't think so. Because it, it, the reason I don't do hallucinogens is because I want to know the nature of the experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I always had in my head that, you know, hallucinogens didn't give you legitimate experiences. You know, like you're kind of just forcing the door open rather than getting them uh, in a more natural way. There's also a huge difference. Um, Just from the shroom, the time I did shrooms for Peritopia, and it was a massive dose of, it was like two handfuls of shrooms uh, for somebody who had never done a drug in his life. Um, And I mean, it blew the doors open. But those doors are very cartoonish and um, surreal, and they don't necessarily have an internal logic to them. Whereas like this Kundalini thing really does unfold as like a process of like, at least for me, and I would say for everyone, the reason that it's different for everyone is that it's for whatever damage you and I have done to our bodies or our mental health or whatever, um, it's going to try to correct. So that is good, like a snowflake. That's going to be different for everyone. Uh, But the thing that it's doing is the same. So for me, um, there seemed to be a linear sort of unfolding of like, once I let this thing go, um, first, it healed, it helped heal up my back. Uh, second, there started being these sort of psychic awakenings. And then there started being these other awakenings. And so and prior to that, there was, like I said, just sort of this influx of just wisdom as thought, like just, you know, I started thinking like Confucius day calendars or something. And uh, so I I feel like um, like that is a, a quote unquote process yeah. that 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 only kicks in if you you know are able to heal originally whatever the original thing is that but if you can't get past that then where does it go and then if it doesn't go anywhere if it just becomes I mean essentially what we're talking about is there's this limitless energy and it is you're trying to keep it in this limited space and control it and like turn it on and off and do things and it's causing you problems what if you just let go well, I'm not I'm not trying to control it I let it go now and now yeah, but you, I, you you've said that you turn it on and off right like I know how to control it I can turn it on and off I I, I know how to calm it down sometimes like when it's hurting uh by meditating and doing breathing exercises although it's very hard to do when I'm driving. Right. It's only happened twice ever when I'm driving. It, it generally happens at somewhat convenient times. Um, sometimes I'll wake up in pain from it, um, which sucks, but at least I'm not like out in public or something. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I was always terrified I'd be in school and have one of these attacks. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't know what to do because, you know, like doctors were like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're extremely healthy. I did get diabetes around the same time this all started, too. Mm. So I always wondered if that was connected. And my diabetes does not behave like normal diabetes. Of course, my body doesn't behave like like normal. Like, I heal super fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't bruise. Like, literally do not bruise. 
And there's no good explanation for that. And I always assume that's connected to the Kundalini energy, that it just kind of protects me to some degree. There's numerous things that probably should have killed me that I walked away from. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to, to that. And I can actually relate to the uh, initially being afraid of it in public. I mean, I can remember like driving around, you know, or being driven around, you know, driving the back of a friend's car, something like that. And, um, you know, either my head or my hand would just start to move and I would have to stop it. You know, it's like... It's like in, you know, what are those movies, you know, like a Bruce Campbell movie where your your hand, you know, it's the evil dead, your hand starts to move and you've got to stop it with your other hand, you know, <laughs> See, uh, I never, lob it I, off at the wrist. <laughs> I never had that type of stuff really happen to me. Uh, I get twitches from it. Like it'll cause me to twitch, you know, like sometimes a bunch, but not, that's not a very common thing for me. And I've never had the movements like you have. Huh. And again, talking to other people, the movements seem to be a rare thing. Yeah. Well, I, I, it, they are rare. I mean, I think I said this before, or maybe just to you personally, I don't know. But I mean, I've seen an, uh, pr pretty much every YouTube video I could get my hands on of people allegedly doing kundalini movements. And I can think of two that I thought were legit. And the rest were psychosomatic or, you know, people all together in a room just writhing around. And like that, that is... I mean, intelligence doesn't do uncoordinated stuff. So if it's if what's happening to you is legit and isn't and isn't like, you know, because I don't believe that you're doing things on purpose, like writhing around on a, a floor like a snake because, you know, you heard it's a snake energy. Right. <laughs> but uh, if it's making you twitch and all of that, then I, I got to think that that there's something that it's trying to break through to actually be able to move the way it needs to. That's a possibility. That's entirely possible. The problem is I don't know what the block is. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I See, this is where you need this is where you need aliens to tell you to stop eating sugar or something. <laughs> like it'll end up being something stupid like that. Um, so I, I put up a <laughs> list. There were a few lists I found online because I wanted to, when I was working on my autobiography, I did a chapter on Kundalini. Um, obviously, it's not out yet or anything, but I just pulled it up real quick to go over the I. I I put my stuff in there, plus stuff I found online that were general lists of uh, Kundalini awakening symptoms type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one is twitching, cramps, spontaneous movement. Uh, and I wrote, think think of it like getting a small jolt of electricity to a muscle, which is what it feels like to me. Uh, like I said, I never had the actual full movements like you did. Uh, the second one is pulsating energy. And have you had that? Like where you feel like your entire body is pulsating? Um, pulsating. I, maybe. I mean, I've had something similar. I don't know if I would describe it as pulsating, but we might be talking about the same thing. How would you describe it? Um, I mean, I've had where it feels as though like like I'm enveloped in beating energy and like I'm almost levitating on it or something. Okay. Like head to toe, like a beating sort of. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of. Yeah. I, I, that's not in, inaccurate to what I'm trying to describe. Okay. I, I call it pulsing because sometimes it feels like, I mean, I've woken up with it going so fast, it felt like a, a death metal blast beat. Can I tell and, you what I think that might be? What? Because uh, I actually had something like this happen to me just a couple of weeks ago. Um, it, uh, for me, that, um, well, normally, I, I guess there are two times that it happens, one in conjunction with uh, uh, another energy. But uh, normally in conjunction with, um, healing my body at night, like, like you, I mean, I can, I can bruise and I can get hurt and that sort of, I guess I can still bruise. I don't know. I haven't thought about it, but I can definitely hurt myself, but I, but I don't seem to be able to get sick. Like if I start to get a cold, you know, you can feel it coming on the sniffles, the yep. sore throat, whatever, or a flu or something like that. It's literally like I'll go to bed and my body becomes this chugging sort of engine that works it all out. And by morning, yes. I'm fine. I and have I, had I, the exact thing happen. Well, so two weeks ago, I had that happen with sheer exhaustion. Like it worked out because I had to get up early the next day and do a whole bunch of stuff and I was already exhausted. And I literally, 
I mean, it was as if like energy was pouring out of the top of my head and down my back and like lighting up the place. Uh, but I could feel that that sensation with it. And when I got up the next morning, I was fine. I was like completely awake and alert. And I think it was the same sort of thing. So I wonder if it's something like that with you, where it's actually healing you or inoculating you when it's doing it that. Could be, it could be. be a couple times. The first time it happened, it actually scared the crap out of me because I thought it was my heart, you know, and I'm like, because it's just going and I'm like, oh, my God, what's happening? And, you know, I like feel my pulse. My pulse is very slow and calm. And I'm like, OK, not my heart. It's energy. It, why, why is it doing this? And after a few minutes, it stopped. It just calmed down and stopped. But I mean, it was enough to wake me up out of a deep sleep. So maybe maybe it was fixing something. I, it's entirely possible. Um, well, when it, when it gets like that with you, do, do you have a sense of like, I do not want to move and screw this up. I don't want to get up. I just yes, want to stay in except, this. Yeah. Except that one because it frightened me. Huh. Like I, th I thought maybe I was having a heart attack or something because, right. I, you know, I had never experienced that. But yes, when I get into the, when I normally when that starts to envelop me, I'm like, I don't want to move because I'm afraid it'll stop. Right. Because it generally feels very good. And it's not even yeah. that felt bad i just wasn't sure where the source of it was yeah that's funny because when this happened to me a couple of weeks ago i mean i've never that i can recall felt as though like my head opened up and you know light pouring down over me that that aspect of it was new and that worried me i actually thought like oh god am i dying am i gonna die in right. bed but i stuck with it and uh and then it it became this. And then I thought, oh, okay, I know what this is. What's weird is uh, when I had COVID the first time, my kundalini energy pretty much disappeared. Hmm. So instead of healing me, it just like stopped. And I was like, that's disturbing. Like that was more disturbing. <laughs> I look forward to that. <laughs> that oh, was no. more disturbing than having COVID is that like normally I can sit and I can do breathing exercises and I could, you know, I could get it pulsing a little bit. And that's what I will do when I'm not feeling good. Like, it's like, okay, I don't feel good. Let me sit here and meditate and, and see if I can get the energy moving. And there was nothing. Mm. And I'm like, why is there nothing? That's interesting. Yeah, I was kind of counting on uh, Kundalini to get me out of this whole COVID mess if I ever got it. So <laughs> good to know. Uh, and maybe it I will, will maybe. say I've had strep throat. Like, I remember having strep throat and I could not get rid of that. That's the one thing. I've gotten minor colds, but I haven't gotten seriously sick in, in decades. And even the, even the COVID wasn't, I mean, it sucked, but it could have been way, way worse. Mm. Uh, and both times I've had it after that initial times have been short, but I'm also vaccinated. So that probably helped. And having it before probably helped. Right. Um, but and both those times were like, I knew I was sick. I'm like, oh, and th there's something about COVID where it just it feels like there's something wrong. And I've never had that feeling like that before. And so both times I've gotten all three times I've gotten COVID. Like my reaction is, wow, there's something really wrong. And I don't feel that. Oh, crap. I got COVID. And this was, um, wait, did you say that this was before you were vaccinated or after? The first time was before lockdown. And so. After you were vaccinated and you got it again, it was the same thing? It went away every time? Uh, the, so the first time it lasted about eight weeks and Yeesh. left completely exhausted. Uh, it was it was exhaustion, aches, uh, no kundalini energy. Um, God, I can't even remember what else. I wasn't coughing, really, uh, luckily. But I would get exhausted walking up the stairs, which is not a normal thing for me. You know, I'm very active. And it, like I could walk to the back of my property on a flat plane and it was fine. But going upstairs in my house and I get to the top of the stairs and be like, I need to stop for a moment, and breathe. Holy crap. Like my like like my lungs weren't absorbing the oxygen right. Mm. Um, and then the other two times it was very mild and it lasted about three days. OK, but but did you have Kundalini happening at that time? No. And okay. I didn't have it when I got the vaccination. 
Not only that, but the second shot uh, is the only time I've had a bruise, and it wasn't even from the shot. I'm sure I've talked about this on the show. Uh, A week before I got the second uh, vaccine, uh, I had a blood draw just from normal physical type stuff to check, you know, levels of, of everything, you know. And they can never get a vein. My veins literally move when they try to poke them. So every time someone tries to draw blood, they'll be like, oh, I can see your veins. No, this will be easy. And then they poke around for five minutes. (laughs) Every once in a while, someone hits it right on the first try. And I'm always like, wow, okay, that was impressive. Um, Always been like that. And uh, it never bruises. It never leaves like a tiny dot. I stop bleeding very, very quickly. So it's not something I really pay much attention to. So the day after I got the second uh, vaccine shot, I woke up the next day with a huge bruise around the area where I had the blood draw a week earlier. Mm. I have no idea how that's a thing. Like in any any world, like why something that didn't bruise at the time bruised after the vaccine. I'm trying to think if my wife, Carol, I mean, not the bruising, but I could have sworn like she had a when we she, we got the first vac- vaccine shot, maybe it was the second one. I don't know. One of them she had a kind of a worse reaction to than than the other. And like and I think even I, too, felt it like at the injection site. I every now and then it would just flare up the fe- the feeling like this yeah. sort of pain feeling at the injection site for like, I don't know, a week, two weeks, something. Well, the um, thing is that my arm really wasn't sore from the injection. Like most people are like, oh, the, you know, the injection site hurt really bad. And I'm like, I noticed if I push on it and that's about it. I mean, it didn't hurt me when I got it either. It, it just came later. It's like, oh, wait, there's that pain. It's like a phantom pain that comes. Right. I wonder <laughs> if there's something about that that could like bruise as you're getting the other injection. It like flares up in the first injection site or something. I don't know. That's weird. But that, was a, but that wasn't the injection. That was a blood draw. Oh, it was a blood draw. It was a blood draw from a week earlier. There's huh. no reason that should have bruised. And it didn't hurt. Like I could push on the bruise and there was nothing. It's just like it did. I mean, COVID itself is uh, is pulmonary. It affects your blood and your blood vessels. So I'm assuming the vaccine also has something to do with your blood and blood vessels and cause that. And I had mild heart palpitations, too. So I was like, OK, I'm not getting any more uh, vaccination shots. I'm done. Well, you know what it could be is that those uh, those Bill Gates microchips gave you a virus. <laughs> yeah, that could be. And now you're but, being controlled. by. And, uh, and again, the Kundalini yeah. energy just kind of stopped. But after a few days, it went back to normal. And I'm like, what is it about? I mean, because the, the vaccine is to some degree emulating the virus in order to uh-huh. vaccinate you against it. So what is it doing that's affecting Kundalini? You got me. <laughs> yeah, you got me too. I don't know. I mean... Uh, See, I, I guess I don't, I know what all the literature says, but I guess I don't think of Kundalini as an energy that sits dormant in the spine. I consider there to be some sort of like almost ethereal gill there that uh, allows this sort of cosmic energy or universal or limitless energy in. Um, but if I'm wrong and or if there's a, you know, a sort of a blockage there or something that, you know, that that um, like a gate that stays shut could, I don't know, could the vaccine be doing something with the spinal fluid or with something or, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know what the hell's down there, but uh, right. yeah, something yeah. down there that that is a physical correlate to Kundalini in the same way that, you know, these chakras are have physical correlates with like glands in our body or maybe places on the spine. Is there a physical correlate yeah. to Kundalini that gets affected and then that affects whether it shows up or not? It's entirely possible. I mean, we're dealing with a lot of unknowns. I'm just, you know, that was my experience with it. So um, and the pulsating, as, as which is where we started this. Um, the pulsating, yeah, generally the pulsating is a positive feeling. It's a, it's an engulfing, really blissful sort of feeling most of the time. Yeah. Isn't it funny how we don't know our own bodies? 
<laughs> like all we are is alive forever for like thousands, millions of years. Like, and we still don't really quite get what our bodies are about. Uh, we don't know what life or death are. We don't know, you know. Yeah, know a little thing. thing. I mean, uh, at least your body is there. Like, you know, true. okay, death, that's one thing. But we should at least know life, you know. <laughs> um, uh, one of the other things that happens is outbursts of anger or bliss. Uh-huh. I definitely early on had the anger outbursts. Uh, where I would just be really, really angry for absolutely no reason. Um, and once I got it, you know, calming down and stuff, that stopped. And I, I occasionally get the bliss feeling once in a while, too. But the anger thing was was very prominent early on. Okay. No experience with that? No, I mean, honestly, I think I think because I dealt with my psychology in the positive negation stuff, I appealed away so much that I don't think okay. those types of things would happen to me. That makes sense. That makes sense. I don't, I don't have, I didn't have as much unconscious baggage at that point. Right. Right. Um, do you, do you get the bursts of hot or cold? Um, not really. I I'm, I'm pretty hot normally. Like, like it can be freezing out and I'm sleeping on top of the covers, you know? Well, you do live in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, but I've always been that way. Like ever since I was a little kid, like I was the kid who would go out in the snow without my jacket. Right. You're you're the space heater. Yes. <laughs> See, I've I've had I mostly get heat. I hardly ever get cold. Um, if I if I honestly if I start feeling cold, I generally assume I'm sick, mm. and then I get you know the Kundalini seems to take care of it for the most part, and it fixes it. But the heat, the heat can come out of nowhere and it could feel like I'm about to burst on fire. Hmm. No, and, I don't then, get that. and then it'll stop. And I've met other people who have the same thing. I've met people who have the cold aspect of it where they just go ice cold. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it definitely has something to do with how the energy moves. See, and I was, I was wondering this and I was, I was thinking, you know, because you probably approached it differently, you've had different, uh, different experiences. I think we talked about maybe off the air last time you were on. You didn't have like the electro sensitivity. You don't like short things out. Uh, no. I, you know, I, I think I used to think that like as an abductee walking down the street and then like the street lights go out. Yeah. You always slide. read that in the literature like that would always happen. But I just figured at some point I like woke up to the fact that that these things are on a timer <laughs> and maybe the t- maybe something's dusty or broken in it. You know, it has nothing to do with me. The uh, I, I've I and I've watched other people do the same thing who have active Kundalini, especially when it's out of control. It can cause all kinds of mayhem with electronics. Why? It's it's electric. There's something about Kundalini that's electric. Maybe it's not Kundalini. Maybe we're talking about different things or maybe it is Kundalini. And I'm talking about I don't know what <laughs> organ energy or something. I don't know. Different d- different faces. Well, you know, I, I actually think organ energy probably is connected to Kundalini because Kundalini is also connected to sexual energy. And that's what organ energy was. Would you uh, would you say that most of what you're saying is Kundalini comes from books or from experience? Both. I haven't. I didn't read a ton after I started getting my my uh, getting control of it. So the John White book and a couple other books written by people who were uh, practicing Kundalini yoga and stuff, which weren't that useful to me because that's not what I was doing. Right. Uh, and then just having something to work with, and then meeting other people who have had these same experiences. Mm-hmm. So, and I've met a lot of people who have active Kundalini, and many people who have listened to the show who have written me and been like, "Oh my God, this is what I've been experiencing and didn't know what it was." But what if it's not Kundalini? <laughs> I guess this is what I'm getting at. What if you're having these experiences and and people who are contacting you are legit having these experiences, but that the people who told you it was Kundalini were wrong? Well, then it's still something. It's still something. I I mean, I don't know. You're right. I mean, maybe it's a difference without a real difference, but um, 
fits the the like I said when I read the the initial description of what Kundalini was, I'm like, oh, this is exactly what I'm experiencing. And I suspect because you took a different path into it, uh, you didn't come away with the same after effects. Yeah, I don't know. I just I was just listening to I don't even know the guy's name because I'd never heard of him before, but he's got a YouTube channel where he's pretty exclusively talking about Kundalini. And oh. at first I thought he was just sort of an intellectual on it. But then he started talking a little bit about, you know, his experiences. And one of the things he said was, you know, one of the questions he gets all the time is like, you know, how do I bypass a process and like just sort of make it rise myself and blow through my head, you know, through the <laughs> crown chakra and all of that, you know, can do that. And he said, don't even bother. He said, I have tried that for hours and hours and hours and it doesn't work and he said kundalini is its own intelligence and it yeah. does what it's going to do um and then what he describes are involuntary movements that uh, are healthy for you and, and blah 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 so it seems like i'm trying to figure out where you fit into that because you're not saying or are you saying that you move it yourself no i don't move it myself you i can't move it yourself so oh, i can meditate and and kind of wake it up a little bit but it's going to do what it's going to do i don't control it okay God, it would just be helpful to know if, like, people in India <laughs> have already, like, ha know what these different things are. And like, yeah, this is Kundalini. This is this. This is this. This is this. Or, yeah, that's all different well, versions of the same thing. That's know? why I find the John White book so useful, because he has essays from people who have experiences more like yours and people who have experiences more like mine. Mm -hmm. um, and there's... What is his name? So what does he say is the difference? Like, why does it, why he does it one way? He doesn't one comment one on it another? at all. He just presents this as these are different essays of different people talking about their Kundalini experiences. Okay. So there is a book. It might just be called Kundalini Rising. I think it's the only Kundalini book I've read. And I read it because it was like edited by Ken Wilber and someone else. And ah. it's too, is a book of essays uh, by various people who are doing Kundalini. And I don't know. I, I read it and I was really disappointed. I, I felt like a lot of them were missing the point of like that this is for something, you know, that ultimately yes. it is you. And we're at a point where we're treating it as if it's another intelligence. We're treating it like it's separate from us. But ultimately, we've got to come to a point where it's integrated and it is us. And that's that's like dealing with poltergeist energy. When I have poltergeist outbreaks, I'm just kind of like, OK, I know this is probably me, but I have no control over it. So I have to treat it like it's not. Huh. Okay. You know, I have to be like, stop doing that. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, okay. So wait, so poltergeist energy is, if that's you, then it's you going out into the environment. So would this be the same energy then? I mean, let's call it Kundalini. Would, would that also it, be Kundalini, just an externalized version? It could be. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, most people who have active Kundalini, especially uncontrolled, uh, where they're not intentionally getting it to rise or did the work you did, find themselves with poltergeist activity. People who have near-death experiences find themselves with awakened kundalini and poltergeist experiences. In fact, most paranormal experiences tend to lead to also poltergeist experiences. So it's whatever PK energy is, it might be connected to some degree to kundalini. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean definitely a possibility. Yeah. Um, because like my poltergeist stuff can be completely, it's, it's not common. Uh, and it's not always like when I'm under stress necessarily, because most of that stuff tends to manifest when people are under a lot of stress. The, right. like the, the, the most, uh, the most obvious poltergeist stuff I had was like four things that happened in a row. And I had, I've talked about this before. I muted my, uh, direct TV or whatever. I had that I had it on the metal channel. Something came on it. Oh, ACDC came on. I, I can't stand ACDC for the most part. <laughs> and so I muted it and I walked out of the room and it unmuted and cranked to full volume. Huh. 
And I was like, what the hell? And I walked back in and I almost holding my ears because I have a very loud stereo. I was like, holy crap. And I muted it again. And I turned it down while it was muted. And then I hear this loud bang from the next room that I was just in right about the spot where I was standing when it cranked up was this old um, like tomato grinder. It was like this cast iron tomato grinder that was on a back shelf on top of one of the cabinets, quite a distance away from where this was now sitting. And I walked out and I'm like, what? What the hell? And I, as I pick it up, the stereo cranks up to full volume again. And I'm like, what is going on? And so I went back in and I muted it. And I said, I don't like ACDC, leave it off. And it didn't come on again. And then I went to do a, a, an episode of Where the Road Go. And I think it was like Josh and Joshua Cutchin and someone else. And I'm talking to them. And all of a sudden they're like, are you there? And I'm like, yeah. And they can't hear me. And I checked my mic and the physical switch was turned off. So I turn it back on. I start talking to them. It turns off again. I didn't hear it turn off. I wasn't touching the microphone. It's not a loose switch that can easily turn. And I'm just like, why? Okay. And then it didn't do it when we were actually recording. This was prior to, to actually recording. So did that twice. And then the next day when I went to go to my music show, I had a, a case of CDs that when I picked it up, it was open and the CDs flew everywhere. And there's no way I would have put it down there with it open. It wouldn't have stayed like closed if I had put it down there open. Like it had to be unzipped carefully in place in order for it to be open on the floor like that. Mm-hmm. And someone's like, it's all music related. And I said, it's not music related. I mean, some of it's music related. I'm like the cast iron, you know, grinder wasn't uh, music related. And they're like, sure, it's a heavy metal. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, but all that seemed to have happened in just a short bit. And there was there was no like rhyme or reason to it. And I have no good explanation for it. You know, I wasn't having a Kundalini pulse at the time or anything. I think, I think the most bizarre part of that is that you don't like ACDC. <laughs> How is that possible? They're too simple for me. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, and I, I can't stand his voice either. There, there's some ACDC I don't mind, uh, but for the most part, I don't want to listen to ACDC. I don't, I don't like a lot of the big classic rock bands. I don't like Led Zeppelin. I don't like ACDC. Uh, Van Halen's okay. Uh, it's none of that stuff is stuff I listen to. Uh, Van Halen, I like the old Van Halen. Old Van that's, Halen, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. about it. Um, don't like Deep Purple, and people are always shocked because I like metal and I don't like all these classic metal bands. But even old Black Sabbath, there's only a handful of stuff with Ozzy that I like. Mm-hmm. I like Dio stuff, and I like uh, Born Again with uh, with uh, uh, I can't remember his name, the other vocalist. <laughs> Do you like things that I don't? Well, I, I don't. I guess industrial music like. Uh, Nine Inch Nails or uh, whatever Marilyn Manson is considered. <laughs> I like Nine Inch Nails up to the da- up to and including the Downward Spiral. Uh, I loved the very so first two albums, <laughs> basically, yeah, and, okay. the, and the fixed and broken EPs. All right, okay. Um, and I like the first Marilyn Manson record because when it came out, it was like nothing else, mm. and it was just absolutely offensive <laughs> and counterculture. And I loved that. And then after that, I never liked anything else he did. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah. <laughs> so yes, I do like some. Indu- I, I do like industrial stuff. I like early ministry. Uh, well, actually, actually, not really early ministry. Like mine is a terrible thing to taste, and Psalm sixty nine era ministry stuff like that. Britney Spears? No, Britney Spears. No, no not generally. No. Uh, all right. <laughs> Just checking. And no, Michael Jackson. Sorry. What? The King of Pop? I did when I was a kid. I did like Michael Jackson, particularly because of Thriller, because I was into horror movies, and I thought uh-huh. that was really cool. But now. Like, I don't dislike Michael Jackson. I would just never listen to Michael Jackson. Come on. 
Um, so let's see what else we have here. Electrosensitivity. <laughs> yes, uh, back to the list. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to, really. <laughs> the we list will. is life. <laughs> Uh, and then I, I mentioned that it, it can be associated with a hyperactive sex drive or it can kill your sex drive completely. Uh, and I've experienced both of those aspects of it. Uh, the pain from various yeah. chakras, uh, random symptoms like racing heartbeat, intense pressure to your skull, uh, digestive problems, sharp random pains can all be associated with Kundalini. Of course, any of this stuff could also be something else. So right. having one of these is it doesn't mean that it's Kundalini. But having that whole spectrum of it, you know, right. uh, hallucinations. And that was the thing that it started with me where I would like be playing trombone because I was like in fifth grade playing trombone and I'd see steam coming out of the end of the trombone. And I knew it wasn't there. Wasn't spittle. No, no. It was like ste- like like steam rising from something that's boiling. Okay. It, it was really obvious. And then I would call my mom in and I'd be like, OK, this sounds crazy, but I'm seeing steam. And then I'd play and it wouldn't do it. And she'd leave and it would start doing it again. And I'm like, am I losing my mind? Like, what, what is going on? And there's there's sounds and stuff that are specifically linked to Kundalini experiences like uh, bells and things like that. Um, I would hear can- like what sounded like rattling cans. Like if you had a ban- bag of empty cans and you were rattling them. Um, and that one would drive me nuts, too, because every time I tried to sleep, I would hear that. And I'd be like, what is that? And it would keep me awake. Mm. What do you think uh, when they say hallucinations? That's pretty vague, right? Like there are things that are. There are what, very, is a, what does a hallucination mean? I guess that maybe that's the question to ask. You're, you're seeing something that isn't objectively there. That OK, that other people because there are hallucinations that, you know, like even with a drug trip, you'll have, obviously. Uh, that other people aren't going to see, but there's like an answer as to why that's happening, sort of, because you took a mushroom, right? Right, <laughs> right? and and like, and it's out of control. But like with Kundalini, um, I mean, I I guess the stuff that I've seen has been repeating. Um, and when you say like the smoke out of the trombone, that makes me think of like sometimes I'll see like a white wisp that looks like a dryer sheet kind of mm. waving through the air. Sometimes, very rarely, I'll see a red dot of light but usually it's a white or black like sort of i don't know little dots of something flying around um you know if i sit quietly for a second it's as if like my awareness expands and includes more of what's actually in the environment than my eyes can see and that is repeatable and that seems to not to me i guess i don't include that as a hallucination um i would say that anyone could achieve that you know what i mean all right that's fair but i don't Uh, know that that's true i mean because then like so let's I just want to go back to the thing that happened a couple of weeks ago for a okay. second, because it's been kind of on my mind because seeing this light go down my backside, you know, come come out of my hair, uh, out of my head like hair, you know, <laughs> like go <laughs> beating down my body like that and lighting up the room. This is the first time I've ever ha- been sort of interrupted from something like that. And the cat jumped up. So the cat jumped up in the bed, okay. which woke up my wife. And so if there were light and if there were, this were actually happening, you'd think she would have seen it. But of course she didn't. And then as I'm thinking about it, how is it possible that I'm seeing it? Because I should be seeing through my eyes. And I can't remember, did I see this with my eyes closed only or with my eyes open? Like, And then I'm thinking like there are a few experiences I've had that I've described on various shows where I'm seeing something happen on my backside. And I never, for some reason, I just never even bothered to like ask myself, uh, hey, self, how is that possible? <laughs> you know, like yes, that's not yes. possible. So is it non-locality? Is it an out-of-body experience? Am I hallucinating? Like, what is it? 
But whatever it is, there is a physical correlation. There is like a physical effect in this case the next day of like waking up completely rejuvenated when I should be like out of my mind tired. Right, right. I mean, it, technically, Kundalini energy is supposed to move up one side of the spine and then back down the other. Okay. Uh, and there, there's uh, in Buddhism, there's there's a term for it. Like one is the Ida nerve, and I forget what the other one is that are like on each side of the spine, and mm-hmm. they correlate to male and female energy. Okay, but because everything with Kundalini is very binary, like positive negative type of energy. But do people see? Do people what? ever see the hallucination? I guess this is, or that, or if we're going to say it's a hallucination, does a hallucination ever, like in what other context, maybe this is the question, in what other context does a hallucination lead to a positive physical outcome, <laughs> except in right, this case? Right, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, I mean, because that's one of the things about like near-death experiences is that, that people come out of dying and having a near-death experience with a lot of positive stuff, Yeah, which should not be the case from everything we know that, you know, you should be, you should be disabled, not uh, better than you were before you died. That's true. Yeah. You know, so um, the hallucination aspect, I mean, it could still be a hallucination. The hallucination could just be a side effect of whatever's happening to you. But then I've had other experiences where I thought I was glowing. It looked like I was glowing. And then uh, my girlfriend at the time confirmed it by just saying, "And I, you know, you're glowing. And I was like, well, wait, so I was glowing and you never thought that that was weird. And she just said white people glow. She was from El Salvador, you know, El Salvadorian descent. And that was her answer. It's like white people glow. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm not sure anyone's ever said I've glowed. Hmm. But you can eat enough. I don't know what. Is it beta carotene? I don't remember what. You eat enough of something and maybe you, you can. Somebody's told me this, right? Like your skin can start to glow. So well, the can... odds of me at that point in my life having eaten too much uh, good food? Probably not. <laughs> You can, uh, if I remember right, the body does give off light. It's not in the visible spectrum, but they've been able to measure it. Um, They've also been able to measure chakras in uh, meditating monks and stuff. So, I mean, this stuff has... How do they measure that? uh, I don't remember. I, I remember it being a study in Canada. They had them meditate while they were hooked up to some kind of machine, and they were able to pick up the energy spots at the chakra points. And the scientists didn't believe in it. And they were like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. But it still leaves the question of are the chakras there naturally or are they there because they're meditating on them? Yeah. And I guess the the fact that they're scientifically investigating this, too, gets to the point of the question, is this for something? Because if this is for something about us waking up to, again, our sense of wholeness or whatever it is, whatever the ultimate thing is, if there is an ultimate thing, then is it wise to give this to the hands of scientists who are going to try to put it in a pill or use it for war or do something, you know, sell it back to you as a product? Right, right. Yeah, that's that's always a concern. Um, At the same time, scientific research can lead to further understanding of it. So it's it's sort of a double edged sword. I don't know that that understanding is useful, though, right? Like, it's got to be direct experience. Otherwise, you're just a historian. It does. It does. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But knowing that, you know, like, having any kind of Western acceptance of energy and stuff, I think, is good for people who are experiencing it. Yeah. Because we don't have I'll a paradigm for this stuff at all. Right. So even if we get a, uh, yes, technically, materialistically, this stuff exists, that's that's a step in the right direction to giving people a little better understanding of what might be happening to them. Right. Uh, Let's let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Check out where did the road go.com. 
You will find an archive of every show right back to the very first one that aired January 26, 2013. There's links to all of our social media, Discord, Facebook, the Facebook group, Twitter, YouTube. You can pick up merch at our store that is linked on the page. You can become a Patreon and get extra content every month for as little as $3 a month. You can leave a donation, go through blog entries, and you can contact us. If you have stories you'd like to share for a future Listener Stories episode, stories at wheredotheroadgo.com is the place to send them. For general contact, it's contact at wheredotheroadgo.com. And if you want to mail me something, you can do so at P.O. Box 444, Ovid, New York, 14521. I'd like to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons, because without you, this show would not be what it is. And I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain. Patricia Gayaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Lemina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, Christopher Ernst, Craig Cicernos, Illuminati, Craig Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Todd, Jay, James Lattimore, James Lindsay, Jim Pyre, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linz Jackson K., Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Oli Andre Olar, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Veroche K, Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephen D, Amber Hall, and Craig Sagastumi. I thank all of you for the incredible support. And we are back here with Jeremy Vaney, and we're talking about all kinds of weird stuff tonight. And uh, hopefully not losing everyone because We've had a very strange conversation. Come back, everyone. <laughs> I've met, uh, like I said, I, I, people with active Kundalini seem just to be put in my path. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them I've actually been able to heal by moving their Kundalini. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I never believed that that's going to happen. Uh, the, the last person I did that with um, had some very serious issues. And I'm like, yeah, this is. And she had very obvious Kundalini. I could feel it the minute she touched me. And I was like, oh, all right. I'm like, well, I can I can try and get this to calm down for you. Try to get it moving a little better, help you deal with some of it. But not for a moment did I believe that that was going to fix her health issues. And within like a month, month and a half, her health issues were gone. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I can't believe that worked. What, you know, like, what the hell? But a lot of it is like, like when I work with someone on this stuff, like I'll, I'll just move my hands along their spine it's like my energy connects into theirs and, and I pick things up and I'll be like, what's this? What's this? What's this? And I get them talking about 
and dealing with stuff. And I think that's part of what is fixing it. So what is it that you feel, though? I can just feel the energy. What does that feel like? It's different for every single person. And sometimes it, it, I don't connect right with someone. Like, and then I'm just like, nope, I can't, I can't do this. Mm. Like, it's almost like the frequencies are wrong. Mm. Um, I've only met a couple of guys who, like, I can feel very obvious kundalini with them, but the frequencies have always been wrong. Hmm. And again, I wonder if that has something to do with that binary aspect of it. Right, that you want them to be women. I don't, I don't want them to be. I'll work <laughs> with whatever, whoever I can help. Um, it's just, it turns out that way. And a lot of these, and I think almost everyone I've ever dealt with has had pretty severe trauma in their past. So that, um, is, also, that is also a factor. That seems to be... Arguably, let's just say a universal factor with, uh, you know, experiencers of high strangeness, abduction type stuff, too. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, and near death experiences. Really? That, yeah. That that, yeah. When Kenneth Ring compared people who had abduction experiences and near death experiences, he found trauma to be one of the most common factors. But then. OK, now I'm going to debunk myself here, which is like because I just had a flash on like when last I knew one in three or one in four Americans, maybe just women, but I think Americans had been sexually abused at some point in their lives. That's a lot of people. That is. Absolutely. Yeah. So how can we really correlate that when everyone's getting molested? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, and everybody. Is, and it is definitely more uh, more women than men. Uh, but but men are not certainly not immune from that, especially as children. Yeah. I was molested as a kid. See, I don't have trauma. I'll offer that up. I don't. How, how old were you? Uh, eight or nine, I think eight. Okay. Is it traumatic for you to, to you know, like, did you remember it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not traumatic remembering it now. Um, I think I was more, I don't know. I, when I was a kid, I used to really be empathetic. And, and I think I was, I mean, it was traumatic, but it was also like um, after a couple of years, I was really interested in like, why was this guy this way? Right. You know, like what would have pushed him to that? Hmm. Um, and then, you know, you start hearing about like, oh, if you're molested, you become a molester. And then I had that fear of like, wait, is this going to be me? Like, is this what you, is, this, not, is this what happens to me? Do I have to be this guy now? I have not heard that. I don't know that that's said anymore, but back in the eighties, that was certainly a thing of like, yeah, if you're, well, I mean, I guess, right. Like serial killers have bad childhoods, right? Like if you, sure. you're, you're, you're more, the, the more you're abused, the more prone you are to be an abuser, I guess, is kind of how that goes. But yeah, for, but for pedophilia yeah. though, it seems like that's a very specific type of abuse. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, if I can say that I was fortunate, I was fortunate in that it was only, you know, only let's put that in quotes once. And I got the hell out of there. Good. And, uh, yeah. So, so it was traumatic, but I mean, I remember like years, a couple of years later, um, me and my mom were in a restaurant and he came in and she was ready to go beat the crap out of him just <laughs> on site. And I had to calm her down and say, you know what? Don't, I'm, I'm at peace with it. So you should be too. Like, just leave yeah. him alone. Hmm. But yeah, like almost everyone I've had dealings with, uh, directly that had, you know, massive Kundalini awakenings that were causing them major problems also had really massive abuse. Hmm. Uh, not, and, and, you know, sometimes it was rape. Sometimes it was, uh, pedophilia. But, it's but what do you the, think the, the connection is? I mean, do you think it's like, because yeah. to me, it seems like if you're abused, like everything you're told as a kid is to look up and to your parents and to adults as authority figures and respect right. and all that. Right. And the second you have that social construct stripped away, all bets are off. And now yeah. you're looking for truth because that wasn't the truth. So society is lying to you about something. You know, like, I think it sets you off on a path that way, maybe. It, that's that's a good way of looking at it, because I've never known why it is that trauma 
plays into that, but that's that's very very possible. Yeah. It breaks down that that initial barrier. Yeah, I, th- I think it does. Like I said, I don't know. Like I don't have trauma in my past. I don't have anything that you know. Like I wasn't abused. I wasn't, and really in any way, I had parents who. Yeah, I butted heads with them when I was a teenager, but when I was growing up, they were actually really good parents. Were you bullied? Very minorly, but nothing serious. Like back when you had diabetes, was that affecting you in any way? Or, I mean, I'm sure you have it now, but I mean, back when you were diagnosed, that didn't affect you in any way? No, no. Um, And I was actually affecting uh, my blood meters so that they kept reading lower blood sugars than than they actually were. Uh-huh. And I kept eating sugar because it kept telling me I was low. And uh, then I started really not feeling good, went to the hospital and I was like still walking around. I had a Walkman. I'm, I'm like, just like, OK, you know, we're waiting to go in. They checked my blood sugar. My blood sugar was saying like 800, which sh- as the doctor put it, I shouldn't have been walking around. I'm lucky I was still alive. <laughs> or he said something like you, you, you sh- you're lucky to be alive and not unconscious, much less walking around. And you don't think that affected you, Soraya? No, it really didn't. I was just like, okay, you know. <laughs> but that's the thing. I mean, because this is where I had the kundalini energy. So I wonder how much of a factor that was. Mm. You know, was that why I was still able to walk around? Yeah, I felt like crap. But I mean, I was I was still functional. <laughs> right. See, I think you play off too much uh, things that actually affect you. You're like, yeah, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, I it just wasn't. went into the hospital with diabetes and my sugar was off the roof and I should have been dead. It was fine. Well, they, they didn't tell me that till afterwards. I looked at my old man who loved me and he said, man up. And I manned up. I love my parents. No, I, I, disclaimer, I don't know anything about his parents. But that's a lot. Fabrication. <laughs> Uh, that 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 was definitely not my dad. <laughs> my me, me, my dad had very classic ideas of what you know, like man, men's role in society and stuff. Because you know, he was born in like thirty eight. So, uh-huh. wow. So, so that's was- different, huh? That's uh, right. Like, uh, so he was an older dad. Yes. So he missed out on the hippy dippy stuff. Yes. Yeah. He was in the military. Went to Korea. And my dad was someone who very much bought into the, if you do what you're told your whole life, you'll be rewarded at the end. And at some point, I think he realized there was no reward coming and was very, very bitter about it. Oh, yeah. That'll do it. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it will. How For how how long into his life was he upset about the Beatles versus Frank Sinatra? He listened to Johnny Cash. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, he was all about the old country music. Okay. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I didn't, I didn't have that trauma, so I don't know what set everything off. Um, whether the, the Kundalini caused the diabetes, maybe the diabetes was the traumatic thing that set it off. No idea. But clearly so, uh, the way we've interacted with it are very, very different. Has it, uh, ever, in, I don't know, interacted with or come and gone according to any diabetes medication that you take? No. Um, or the fact that you, I'm sure have switched. I'm assuming like they've upgraded stuff since you were a kid. Have you switched medications? Not much. No, it's, it's okay. just basic insulin. Oh, okay. A lot of medications don't work on me, which is the other issue. So like once or twice I've tried different insulin and it didn't work. Huh. And I was like, uh Oh, this isn't good. Um, but the, but the old insulin still works. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and sometimes it works really well. Sometimes it, it seems to have some resistance, but it's not, there's no rhyme or reason to it. What were you told about the effects of diabetes when you were a kid? Like, did they instill fear in you about, like, you could die from this? Um, you know, they, they gave you the, oh, you should keep it under control because if you don't, eventually it could lead to blindness and kidney failure and et cetera, et cetera. 
but they didn't do it in a fear-based way. They were just kind of like, you want to keep control of this. And I did not early on. Um, I just didn't care. And, and again, that's one of those things where I'm like, I don't know how I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going to an eye doctor and this was after I had, you know, realized I need to keep control of this. This is serious. Um, but I hadn't been to an eye doctor in like five years or something. And I'm like, I should really get my eyes checked. And so I go in and this guy keeps looking at my eyes and going, huh? And then he looks at the other guy and he goes, huh? And I'm like freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, what is he seeing? And then he keeps checking both eyes. And then he asked me how long I've been diabetic. And I tell him, I don't remember what it was at the time. And, uh, he's like, huh? And he looks at my eyes and I'm like, oh my God, what is he, what, you know? And he gets done. He's like, well, your eyes are perfect. And I'm like, and what's, what's, what, what was all of the, um, he's like, oh no, your eyes are like so perfect. I can't even tell you're diabetic. And I've never seen that before. And I'm like, okay, good. Right. That's good. (laughs) Okay. So so you didn't, you didn't grow up with a, like a fear of going blind or any of that. You had the kid reaction of like, I'm Superman. I can do whatever I want. Exactly. And again, don't know how I survived. Right. And don't, don't know. Don't think I could do that now. (laughs) Yeah, because so, you're bruising now, so you're screwed. No, no, just that once. <laughs> That's how it starts, Soraya. I, I sprained my ankle at the beginning of September, and it swelled up a touch and did not bruise. Huh. Yeah, I twisted my ankle, uh, or my, yeah, I guess my ankle, and I've had problems ever since. It's been like months now. <laughs> it's still sore, um, but I can I have almost complete mobility of it at this point. Hmm. Although, I got to say... For some reason, it never dawns on me to like try to heal it. Like when I, you know, let the Kundalini go, I, just, oh, yeah. I think about it beforehand. And then once it's happening, it's like, nah, there's no, don't worry about it. But I, I guess I should try that and see. I don't know. It's, worth, it's worth a shot. Yeah. And then you'll feel popping and you'll be like, what's happening? <laughs> My God, man, I'm reverse you're, aging. You're helping, right? I'm Courtney Brown. I'm reverse aging. <laughs> Um, but I mean, to me, this is probably also part of the shamanic experience, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that you would have in, if you were, if we were in a tribal culture, they would be dealing it, with it w- under those terms rather than ignoring it like our culture does. Uh, and- yeah. Well, see, this is the thing. I, I mean, uh, our culture just ignores stuff and that's bad. I wonder though, and, and I get it, like nature cultures have social structures and, and all of that, that, that work for them. But is there something, is there a, a shadow side to relegating one person, the medicine man or woman or one per- person, the shaman, or just a group of people at birth who are like, okay, you're going to be the mamus or whatever. Um, yeah. I just wonder, like, do we have an opportunity in this, this crap culture of ours to actually at <laughs> least democratize wholeness in some sense? That would be good. Um, that's the other thing I was just going to say about that. The, uh, I, I had someone contact me and hopefully at some point she's going to come on and talk about her experiences, but she was basically into, into cryptids, into Bigfoot and stuff and had no interest whatsoever in the new age chakras, anything like that. Just thought it was all nonsense. And when she heard the Kundalini show, she contacted me and I'm talking to her about it. And, uh, she's like, I didn't believe in any of this stuff. She's like, but I wasn't really given a choice. Hmm. She's like, it's just going to do what it's going to do. And I'm like, yeah, just try not to fight it. And knowing what it was seemed to make that a little bit easier for her. Right. So, okay. In my case, um, there was, this led to something and that something happened and it was a big experience. It was perhaps the biggest experience and then it's over and then I'm left being me, but still have this going. And maybe there's another experience in the future. Who knows? 
But the point is, there seemed to be a real narrative unfolding happening. And you're saying that that doesn't happen with you. So what do you think? What do you well, think? What What have you made it about for yourself? Let me put it that way. If you don't know what it's about, what have you made it about for yourself? Well, I definitely think there's sort of a narrative there. I mean, I had when I was given the name Soraya, that happened right after a massive Kundalini uh, awakening. Like I felt like I was dying. I didn't know what was happening. And then it kind of peaked. And at the other side of it, I suddenly had all of these realizations where all this stuff that I didn't understand about myself suddenly made perfect sense. And I wrote like tons of stuff down because I was like, I, holy crap, like, where's all this coming from? Um, like what? I don't even remember at this point. But a lot of it had to do with aspects of myself that I was fighting. So personal, uh, yeah. just personal baggage or whatever. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. And uh, it was just after that that the name Soraya was spoken into my head. Okay. And I knew it was supposed to be my name. And I'm like, I'm not using that. And of course, as soon as I started using it, everything started changing. And as I'm working on the autobiography, I'm just watching all this stuff literally unfold like a narrative, like a story. But what's I'm, all this stuff? <laughs> what uh, changed? Just, just, just the, the oh, I'm a completely different person. Like, I really am. Like, some of the stuff, like when I look back at these these notebooks and, and my views on things, I'm like, wow, I'm really not that person anymore. And it's not necessarily that that was a bad person. It's just my views have changed so much uh, from then. And I think I'm always changing. I'm always evolving and looking at things differently. But a lot of, a lot of what I, I guess a lot of the narrative I have is I want to help people, mm -hmm. whether it be in, you know, helping them understand this type of stuff or just being nice to them in an in, in everyday setting. I hate people. Go to Soraya, everyone. Go to Soraya. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoy helping people. And so like it, it took a lot for me to do the first show on Kundalini. And when I got the response I did, I said, OK, all right. I feel good about doing that now because, I mean, it was a very it's very exposing. I mean, it's a weird thing. I'm like. People are just going to think I'm nuts. Mm -hmm. And hell, I thought I was nuts when it started. So so when you started, I know that you had obviously read stuff and all that, and you've had this going on since you were a kid, but you hadn't really talked to anyone about it or you didn't see it being talked about enough to where you felt comfortable talking about it? Yeah, basically. I mean, the only people I talked about it to were people who were close to me. Like do you if think that if you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but do you think that if you uh, fancied yourself an alien abductee, would you have felt comfortable talking about that, given what you talk about on your show? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I guess it depends how high strangeness the experience was. So you I'm know? just wondering what you think the difference is in like how you would have been perceived if you, like, why was this the, the thing that you thought would people wouldn't believe, because given people, all that you talk about? Well, people are familiar. I mean, this was the first year of the show, too, remember, that I did this. Um, people are familiar with alien abduction stories. They're not familiar with Kundalini awakening stories. Right. You know, and that's you why I want to talk about it. So, and you talk about, and you're, you know, you try to keep things on the level with all the high strangeness stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so when you have stuff happening to you, that sounds like new age woo woo. <laughs> that's also hard to talk about after you've given yourself some street cred with the other exactly, stuff, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And again, like I said, I thought I was crazy when it started happening to me, and I wouldn't blame someone for thinking I was nuts, you know? Right. But uh, we are out of time, but we can continue talking a little in the Patreon segment. Um, tell people where they can find you and what you have going on. Don't. Go to Soraya. <laughs> no. uh, well, I am now uh, officially the monthly guest host of Dreamland with Whitley Streber. So right. you, you can find me there 
on YouTube or at unknowncountry.com once a month or at my own website, ourundoing.com. Okay. And how many books do you have out? Uh, seven. Nice. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you, sir. So Jeremy and I continue this conversation in a Patreon segment. And uh, if you want to hear more about it, become a patron if you're not already one. It's only $3 a month. You can do so at wheretheroadgo.com. Also, if you're experiencing Kundalini and you want to talk about it, uh, shoot me a line. Drop me a line. Contact at wheretheroadgo.com. All right. Going to take you out with some stuff from uh, $50 Dynasty, a.k.a. the Snake Brothers of the Brothers of the Serpent podcast. This is the opening track of their latest one called Procession. This is Aeternum, and I'll see you next time.
You have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support.